It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav. My co-host, the Raphael Fiziev left hook to my RDA legacy, Nick Braccia. Uh, number one bullshit podcast, Nick Braccia. Hello. Hello. Um, number one idiot, according to a review on Apple. We are both do. Uh, we are both do accent. Not only me. For the entire show, completely. This will be very, very hard listen to my friend. Nobody want to listen. Everybody turn off podcast already. Harder than usual. Harder than usual, probably. Nikolai, we got some things to get into. We do. Uh, We got UFC on ABC3, Ortega versus Rodriguez, which we're going to preview for you all. Fantastic main event, man. It's going to be a firefight. And then we have last week's card, Dos Anjos versus Faziev, which we're going to talk about a little bit. And a bit of an underwhelming card. It looked like it was a step down to me from some of the prior cards over the last several weeks. And it kind of performed that way. It's often... These kind of uh, some of these unexpected fight night cards that end up being super exciting wasn't necessarily the case here. Some of these fights ended up being fairly slow, but not the main event. Man, Rafael Faziev and RDA had a great, uh, great four round, uh, f- five round matchup. Right, they entered that fifth round. The card lost. Right the card lost a couple of potential bangers or or star some star power from for injury too. Which is it lost. I mean, listen for the casual, it lost a Misha Tate fight and a Cody Garbrandt fight. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. as far as rec- as far as fighter recognition goes, those are two two fighters that have been heavily promoted, and it was it, both no, by no, the no, UFC no. and with partners. Plus, Abdul Razak Al Hassan versus Jamie Pickett was going to be exciting. It was probably going to be a knockout, right? Uh, yeah, Cynthia Calvillo and Nina Nunez is a decent fight. It definitely lost some firepower. So it's not like I like what the matchmakers are doing lately. It seems like a lot of the flack is getting released lately, and so we're getting less of these like sub UFC level fighters filling up an entire card, which I can appreciate. This one was decent. Like it was a lot better than some of these cards we had earlier in the year that were just so underwhelming, man. It was like hard to hard to get through them. Some of these fights were a little bit hard to get through, but but the main event again was fantastic. Dude, like just I mean that was unbelievable. He just flicked he basically holly he tried to holly home Eamon Zahabi just like flicking punches at a distance where he is very safe. But he just kept flicking him, and he thought, yeah, the judges will give me credit for punching air. And Zahabi landed the occasional shot. That was enough. But that's not the fight we're going to get into. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that one. Fazia versus RDA, Nick. Faziev, man, he showed up. His takedown defense was fantastic. He was fast. He was explosive. He also showed the ability to temper his energy, right? He's had issues in the past where he looked exhausted in that third round. And to be fair... The, the fourth round of this one, he was starting to lose to RDA and then caught that fifth round knockout. But here, he tempered himself, right? He wasn't throwing eight-punch combos to try to knock uh, RDA out with every shot, but he was still throwing full power. Fazeev has this incredible thing that not enough high-level fighters have, in my opinion, where when he gets tired, he does not hit any lighter. He doesn't take his foot off the pedal. It just it looks a little bit more labored, right? He's pushing and willing himself to throw with that level of speed and power at all times. And if you see some of his training that he's done at Tiger Muay Thai, where where he's he's getting a, like a wrestler to to continually shoot in on him, right, and uh, for a full minute, and then he's got and he's got to defend that, and then he's got he's gonna he's gonna be the one to shoot him for takedowns against uh, against the guy for a full minute, and then he's on the arrow dying by just pushing himself 100% for a full minute, and then he's doing pads for a full minute, so so like just bringing him, just putting himself through the grinder round after round after round at Tiger Muay Thai has put him in this position where he can actually pull off a five-round win over a former champion in RDA. A former champion who had 37 years old and 155 pounds, unfortunately, given all the miles that he has on him too, right? He's, you know, he's not going to be at his best. The skill level of the division overall has passed him by. Not only that, but like I said, those miles, the 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 age, that's all going to play a factor. That man's been a pro for probably, what, like 17, 18 years now? We got a problem, though. What's that? There's not a lot of fights for him. Gagey yes. and Chandler, for Gagey and Chandler, he's not a big enough name. Those guys are prize fighters. They're going to, I think they're going to push back on that. Although Chandler Fizia would be so much fucking fun. But Dariush is still injured. And, I mean, that's an interesting fight. Dustin, I don't see Poirier taking the fight. Like, I think Poirier would want that kind of fight, wouldn't he, though? Like, 
like doesn't doesn't the Poirier and the Gaethje want a win and over a name? Like, wouldn't this be the exact kind of comeback fight you'd want after getting shellac? No, I think they want red panty night every night. They've had a taste of it, man. They've had a taste of it. I don't see them. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm I just I'm having trouble looking at the guy that he's going to fight to get. Um, I mean, I I think realistically, we're looking at RDA versus a Mateos Gambro. That makes a lot of sense to me. Tony Ferguson, I think, is going to is still eligible for a bigger fight. He's still pretty popular. Gregor Gillespie, Demiris Magulov, Jalen Turner, Jalen Turner, Jalen Turner, yeah, would be really fun. But Jalen Turner is not nearly as high up in the rankings yet. Gregor Gillespie, I don't know what the hell he's doing. What I'm saying is that RDA should be fodder for these up and comers now, right? Like. Part of the issue that oh, I've yeah. had with the lightweight division is that those guys at the top that you just mentioned, those guys that refuse to fight anybody below them, Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, right? They, they refuse to give these up-and-comers a shot. RDA is willing to. And even though I know he's a former champion and it's of an era that's that, that's that's past us, he's still a guy that um, a pro- can kind of test these prospects to see if they're ready for that top, really ready for that top 10 uh, territory. Still ranked, uh, you know, within that top yeah, 10 I mean, or 12, he, I believe, he RDA beat the is, shit right? out of, out of uh, Moicano. Yeah, but Moicano is another guy who's shown some holes. It was a short notice five-rounder. But that's Moicano. what you learn. That's what you learn going up against RDA, you know? Fair. No, you're right. He kept the gate in that one. You're absolutely right. And so to see him against Gambro, who's like just a surging prospect, to see him against Gillespie, I'm all for it. It's Magulov, Jalen Turner, Armand Saryukin, who's coming off of a loss, right? That matchup, to me, makes a lot of sense, whether it's three rounds or, or a really low-level five night, five, uh, fight night five-rounder. Um, I, I just feel like there, there's still things for him to do here. Maybe if they want to give Diego Ferreira, who I think is scheduled against Jokar Close, um, and, and you know, for whatever reason, that gets canceled for later this month, that's a matchup that's, that's potentially there, too. I just feel like the up-and-comers is who RDA should be facing at this point in his career. He shouldn't be facing the top-name guys. He doesn't necessarily have enough of that name, right? Like, he he's a former champion, so there's something there, but he doesn't have enough of a personality to really garner that interest. And so he's going to be a gatekeeper to the top 10, top 15, and I think that's that's a reasonable position for him at this point in his career. It's unfortunate, though. It's heartbreaking to to have him talk about how he's so motivated to run toward that title and then, and then to get deflated like this. It's got to hurt. Did you think the stoppage was... Um, you know, there's some controversy about it. Did you think it was just? I wa- I, wa- I watched it, and I thought that the the it was if I remember correctly, the initial shot put him down, and he still seemed like he was okay. But there was a follow up hook on the ground, and that and I think that like he listen RDA said it was a good stoppage. <laughs> like he said he was dizzy, and it was a good stoppage. Like if the fighter if the fighter was like, yo, I was hurt. Like what? What's the complaint? You know, I think it was one of those cases. It was one of those cases of by virtue of the camera. It was just the camera work. Um, what we saw was when he originally got hit and fell backwards. He he still looked like he had his wits about him, but then the the combination of the referee position and the camera, we couldn't really see Fiziev follow and what and what RDA's face looked like. But RDA RDA saying he was hurt enough for a stoppage. I stop asking yeah. questions. I stop asking questions when I hear that. Yep, uh, I have to say, like people have been talking about how the calf kick is the game changer in MMA, and I've been talking about that left hook for months and months now, dude. Like once these guys develop a solid killer left hook, it is literally the talk of of the events for two events in a row now. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not looking at the calendar right now. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a there was a big left hook in the in the um, in the pay per view a couple of weeks back too. Like. Like that left hook is a motherfucking factor for these high level strikers, for these up and coming strikers who are figuring out how to use their left hand. That that piston of a jab, that that check left hook, right? The lunging forward left hook, the way that uh, the way that we saw um, Rafael Faziev land in this matchup, it's a goddamn factor, Nick. It's a serious power punch, and it takes a certain proficiency to get to a point where you can throw a proper left hook and time it right and use that technique correctly. And we're seeing that more and more in MMA, man. It's a it's a it's a huge game changer. And I'm glad that uh, guys like Fiziev and um, Alex Pereira are showing the value of such a technique. Uh, Nikolai, in the co-main event, we had you know we, we had we had a, a fight between Cal Barello versus Armand Petrosian. Yeah, a slow fight relatively because uh, Chow Barello basically took that top position for the first couple of rounds. Uh, like I said, he he got his back, he locked it up. 
Armin wasn't going to get up from that. It's one thing to be on your back. It's another thing when your uh, opponent is really, really good at locking in that figure four from uh, from that back position. And Cal, who uh, I I don't know, I keep pronouncing his name in a different way every time because I'm not sure how to do it, but he used to train with Damian Maya for many, many years, something like eight years, man. The guy's grappling is solid. His striking is solid too. It's just often when you get into grappling mode against the striker, and then when you're standing, that striker feels like this is my shot. I gotta go. I gotta put everything into it, and that's why Armin looked pretty good in that third round. Uh, but Cal Barillo, to me, is a serious prospect. I'm very impressed by this guy, and and he's getting rid of these uh, some of these guys from the Caucasus. Although I, I don't know if Armenia is technically in the Caucasus, he, he's he's getting rid of some of these guys from the former former Soviet states. Some of these guys who are supposed to be serious prospects, man. He's he's no joke. I'm very impressed by him. We'll see what he want for him next then, because he needs a pretty. Also, they're not going to do him any favors after putting on a snoozer. Yeah, I, I could see that, but but I do think they look at him as a prospect, like the matchmakers do. There's a reason that they put him in. In his UFC debut, they put him in the co-main event. In his second UFC fight, they again put him in that co-main event. So they, they he's gonna fight like, like that though. He needs to get subs if like, or they're gonna or they're gonna like not do him any favors. Yeah, I, mean, I still think he's a really exciting prospect. It was just a matchup that called for it to be for him to win. It called for it to be a boring fight because Armin isn't going anywhere. I talked about how both of these guys have a high ceiling. Both of these guys are going to be around in the top fifteen for a long time, in my opinion, especially at middleweight, which is which is a pretty shitty division. But for him next, man, like I don't want to rush the kid. Give him a give him maybe a Brad Tavares, uh, 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 Jotko. You know, th- that's the kind of territory we're looking at. Maybe a Brendan Allen, Ian Heinish. Like that's the territory he should be fighting at this point. What about Anthony Hernandez? I'm into it, man. Hernandez is is also a serious prospect, though. He's got that Cain Velasquez at middleweight thing going. I'm pretty impressed by Hernandez. Um, and so there's risk to that matchup. But look, you got to take risks. You're, you're in the fight game. And to be honest with you, looking at looking at like the, the Phil Hawes, man. Top 20... I put I was after that last so, Phil yeah. Hawes performance. That's a hell of a fight. There's, you know, in the like middle middleweight's got some dudes just on the cusp of like the top, you know, the yes. top fifteen, top twenty yeah. that are. Um... That, that's what I'm seeing now, Nick. We've got the old guard. Oh wait, uh, we've got the old guard. That's a trust all over that. called out. Sorry to interrupt you. He, call, he called out Duplessis, didn't he? He did, which I like the matchup. It's a prospect versus prospect, but I'm into it. Let's let's get these two guys in a card. Let's get them on a co-main event. Let's, uh, you know, I, I would love, again, I would love to see these two guys in a five-rounder, uh, given w- some of the things that we've seen in this last matchup. But Duplessis, like, he doesn't do a lot of things right, but he's effective because he's so powerful. He's so aggressive. And he, like Faziev, wills his way to throwing justice just as with much power and speed late in the fight as early in the fight, even though he's tired. So, like, I'm always curious to see guys like that in a five-rounder. Like, how much can your will take you in a 25-minute fight where you're throwing everything 100%? So, yeah, I'd be intrigued. Look, we, we've got some – you're right. We've got some serious up-and-comers. we got Andre Muniz, who's cracked the top 10. We've got Chris Curtis, who's a serious prospect. Nasser Dinamavov, uh, Drinkus Duplessis. We've got um, – we've got – let me see here – um, Mahmoud Murado, who's had, recently had a prospect loss. Phil Hawes, Anthony Hernandez, Chidi and Chugawani. Uh, we've got some prospects coming up. Roman, the Leeds has been looking fairly good ever since that uh, close decision loss to Trevin Giles. So there's some stuff to look forward to in this division, and I'm genuinely excited about it. Not to mention Gregory Rodriguez, Armin Pedrosian, uh, Chao Barillo. Like, uh, I'm excited about the future of this division, man. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see some of these guys mix it up with the Jack Hermansons, the Derek Brunsons, the the Kelvin Gashlums of the world, right? The old guard. Um, it's time for them to kind of give these up-and-comer shots. You know, middleweight doesn't have that same logjam issue at the top as lightweight does, so I, I certainly see some of these matchups happening, and I'm, I'm really intrigued by it, man. I'm, I'm very excited about the prospect of that. Uh, outside of that, Said Mer- Nurmagomedov looked pretty good. He survived a, a late surge by uh, Silva de Andrade, who's, you know, a solid workman. He's a solid gatekeeper. Um uh, Jamie Malarkey, Michael Johnson, man, that was a firefight, dude. A controversial decision. That first round is a swing round with uh, Michael Johnson scoring a knockdown in the middle of the round, and then Jamie Malarkey kind of taking over and scoring, uh, scoring, uh, uh, hurting him pretty badly in the end of the round. I think the judges favored Malarkey because the momentum looked like it was shifting in his direction, and then he did really well in that second round. His timing was spot on, even though he was a little bit slower right throughout the matchup. But Michael Johnson showed what he hasn't shown earlier in his UFC career that he can fight through and look good in the third round if he needs to, right? Like, clearly, he's in the best place he's been in his career. His craft, his experience, his speed is still there, right? All of that's coming together now. And he's having success against these, like, borderline top 10 guys. 
Um, I, I'm intrigued. Like uh, I'm interested, man. He's putting on really exciting matchups, win or lose. So I'm more intrigued by Michael Johnson now than I ever was. I really think he deserved that victory. I thought he won. I thought that he, I, he I, won the first yeah. round. I, I tend to think you're right, and that would have been one less point for me. But I, I tend to think you're right in that. In that, uh, that should have Courtney Casey mm-hmm. should have been two extra points for me. So whatever. True. That 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 would have brought us. That would have brought us to uh, a tie, I think. And instead, I scored four points, and you scored only one. It was it was a bit of a rough one for you between these two decisions going against you, and uh, and a couple of other fights that that didn't go your way. But again, like I think the Courtney Casey pick for two points by you was a brilliant pick, and we saw in that fight why it was a smart pick, right? A fight that could easily go either way. You got a plus one fifty or above on 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 one of these participants. Oh, well, I did think she would wrestle a little bit more, but she has no wrestling. But dude. her bra- well, she I mean she did get her I mean she did get her down a few times and shoved you know um, she was better in the, in those positions and she was better um, grappling. And, uh, I, w- I will say this, though. I-, I do think there is more likely to be controversy about a fight that's relatively close. But then the third round is clearly goes to one fighter, right? So, for example, let's say the first two rounds, Shevchenko edged, which the argument could certainly be made. That third round, Courtney Casey having having some really big moments makes everyone feel like, oh, Courtney Casey won this fight. But those first two rounds were super close. and they were The first round was close, but I thought that Casey landed – I thought she did more damage. Like we're talking, about, uh, I think there's. I think it's a reasonable. If we're, if, reasonable if, we're, if we're talking about damage, she, her her brawling big shots were more effective and land and uh, and landed more than than Shevchenko's like you know point fighting. Yeah, I tend I tend to agree with you, but but that's the thing is that in a super close round, like it could go either way, right? And and I'm not doing the Dana White you got to finish fight. It's not that simple. These are two high level, oh you know mid level athletes, and 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 they're trying to face off with each other, trying to get one up on each other. But yeah, look. It was a close fight. The Courtney Casey-Shevchenko fight, I think there's less of an argument to be made that it was a robbery than the Malarkey-Michael Johnson fight, which also wasn't a robbery, but should have gone, I think, to Michael Johnson. I think he did more damage. He he landed more. It looked like he landed more powerful uh, shots in the majority of that first round, and he did hurt Malarkey, even though Malarkey got that late knockdown. So I, I don't disagree with you. I think Michael Johnson should have edged it. I think the Courtney Casey-Shevchenko fight could have gone either way, and I think your argument is reasonable, but far from a robbery. How about Courtney Casey being 10 and 10 in the UFC now? I wouldn't be surprised if they drop her after this one. Um, outside of that, Nick, the only other thing I think worth discussing is the Saeed Yakub Kahramanov versus Ronnie Lawrence matchup. Dude, this was my, like, this was like the one that I was looking forward to most on this card. And even though it was kind of one sided, it didn't disappoint. I was genuinely impressed by Saeed Yakub. That kid, first of all, has got some personality on the mic. He, like, showed it a little bit, uh, made a call out. I can't remember who he called out, but this kid out wrestled Ronnie Lawrence, who's who has like I think ten takedowns in some fights in the UFC. That guy's like that guy out wrestles everybody that we've seen so far. And Said Yukub, who's a great striker, who's a really good who a really good Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy, out wrestled him and scored t- ten takedowns against uh Ronnie Lawrence. It's ab- absolutely unheard of. Ronnie Lawrence scored six dance, six six takedowns in his last UFC fight, didn't give up any. He scored eight takedowns in his UFC fight against Vince Cachero. Didn't give up any. He scored 12 takedowns in his UFC debut and didn't give up any, right? So this is a significant swing. It makes Saeed Yacoub look incredible unless Ronnie Lawrence was somehow affected with an injury. Like, this was an incredible performance, man. Yeah, it was. Much more dominant than you would have than you had predicted. Yeah. I expected it to be super, super close, but I'm glad I ate Saeed Yacoub, man. Like, that guy is something special. I can't wait to see this guy fight next. Nikolai, uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and break down UFC Fight Night on ABC Ortega versus Rodriguez. Back on the podcast to get into the MMA Geeks draft. Nick and I take turns picking fighters in the upcoming card. Uh, each fighter scores a point, you know, obviously if they win. Now, if you if you pick an underdog of plus 150 or above, you get two points if that underdog is successful. You pick an underdog of plus 250 or above, you get three points for that one. We've only had a couple of cases, I think, of those uh, those three points working out, if any. Uh, we did we have had a bunch of two-pointers uh, come through for us, Nikolai. And I feel like you need some two-pointers, Nick. At this point, we're pretty wide apart, 67 of your points to 82.5 of mine. Again, I think the breakdowns that we bring to the table are a lot more important than the scoring, but you got some uh, you got some making up to do, kid. I have the first pick this week, and 
I think I'm, I'm going to pick this card even though I have my – I'm going to pick this fight even though I have my reservations. Like, I'm having a hard time picking between a lot of these matchups. I'm going to take Amanda Lemos over Michelle Waterson for a couple of reasons. Real – what was it your first one? Uh, given – despite the fact that – and to be fair, Michelle Waterson being worth three points definitely makes me makes me want to consider her in that way because she's a crafty, experienced girl who can go five rounds. And Amanda Lemos has shown that her gas tank is not her strong suit, right? She's explosive. She's fast. She hits incredibly hard. She's super technical standing. She's very powerful on the floor and can get chokes and submissions that way. Um, we did see her get submitted in her last matchup against Jessica Andrade, which is, you know, somewhat concerning. But Watterson doesn't bring those same attributes, right? Watterson can't compete at a higher weight division than 115. In fact, she could compete at 105, as you always allude to, right? So she's a fairly small 150-pound uh, uh, fighter, whereas Amanda Lemos is a huge girl. Debuted in the UFC at 135. So she's going to be much bigger. She's going to hit much harder. She's going to be more aggressive. And even though uh, Watterson, let's say, gets through a couple of, uh, a round and a half that's kind of rough, even if she starts to take over, will she score enough to edge out that second round? Will she finish her in the third round? Probably not. So for that reason, i got to take Amanda Lemos and her horsepower. But we could be seeing a pretty quick decline for her, who's up there in age. She doesn't have the miles, but she's not a young lady. Uh, considering she's seen as a prospect and future, or, or maybe already a contender in this uh, division. I'm, um, so I agree with everything you said. I'm going to pick another women's fight. I'm going to go with uh, Misha Tate in 125, um, you know, down from Strawweight to beat Lauren Murphy. I think that, I mean, this is, like, usually Tate's bantamweight, um, Lauren Murphy, the defeats in her career have largely come from wrestlers and people who can, um, you know, muscle her a bit, whether it be the Sarah yeah. McMahons or the Liz Carmouches, um, or even the Sachara Eubanks. And I think that Tate has been wrestling, uh, for so long and with, with this, with a strong wrestling team. Um, I think that she'll be able to, um, get Murphy, you know, against the cage, get, get her takedowns and I don't think that you know unlike Caitlin Vieira like I don't think um I don't think Murphy's got the pop to really disrupt uh Tate's game plan so I am shocked that you are this confident about this pick to pick it this early um because I think this is absolutely a pick em. I know I do I do hear where you're coming from there the thing is that just that Misha Tate uh, having come back we saw her we saw her in kind of a kind of a slow plotting fight in, in, in the first matchup. Saw her in a slow plotting fight in the second matchup. Although she, to be fair, she did beat Marion Renault in that third round. She finished her. Um, Renault was on her way out as a retiree. Caitlin Vieira outworked Michelle, uh, outworked um, Misha Tate in a five round decision. And to her credit, like the fact that she was in a five round decision is a factor, right? For her to be this big of a favorite over Lauren Murphy is surprising. She's coming off the loss over Caitlin Vieira. But Nick, here's the cool thing. She's actually coming off of a win because she went on the celebrity season of Big Brother last year, last summer, and, or, or or maybe last uh, last fall, and she won that thing, Nick. She she won a game of strategy, a game that should be foreign to her. Granted, it was with, with a bunch of you know celebrities, um, but like she came through and got the win in that element, right? Showing that she has some craft. The entire time I actually watched that season, mostly because I heard that she did well. Um, I watched the season and Nick, she spent like a lot of time working out and she talked about how she's making a move down a division to 125. So she had been preparing for this wake up for a long time, to her credit. First time I believe her competing at 125. Uh, look, this is a pick and fight. I would have probably considered Lauren Murphy for two points, but all else being equal, I'll give Misha Tate a slight edge because of that ground game. It comes down to the fact that I don't think Lauren Murphy is very dangerous. I hear that, but is Misha Tate very dangerous against somebody other than Marion Renault? I mean, ask Holly Holm, but I think that Misha Tate is is someone who can control. Can, I think she can control where this fight's going to be for the majority of it. Just keep in mind, it's been six years since that Holly Holm fight, right? So we're not, you know. I don't think she's going to get a finish. I think she's going to be able to out wrestle her and maintain position, and I feel confident about that. Yeah. You, you do. That, that's fair. Let me quickly look at the stats. I'm curious what Lauren Murphy's takedown defense stats are. It's 65%. It's not bad. She got taken down by Shevchenko. Nothing to be ashamed of. Took down her last couple of opponents. She hasn't been taken down. Well, also, like, fights against, like, Roxy yeah. are going to, or, you know, Roxy's a great grappler, not a great wrestler. Like, probably, she probably had, like, 10 takedown attempts that were defended when Lauren Murphy. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. 
but but it, again, if you look at um, her USC record, right? She had been taken down once by Mara Romero Barella, who has really good takedowns, if nothing else. Uh, she won that decision back in 2019, and and since then, the only person that's taken her down is the best in the world, Valentina Shevchenko, or at least arguably, she's the best in the world. So. You know, I don't think it's going to be that simple. I think it's a pick 'em for that reason. I would have edged toward the underdog. It's a it's a dog or pass fight for me. I wouldn't I wouldn't pay minus two hundred five chalk on Misha Tate at this point in her career. But I do hear that you're confident, and and I don't blame you. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Muslim Salikov and Lee Jing Liang. Can't believe you're I picking am... this one this so early, but go ahead. Yeah, it's it's another pick. I I just like you're probably right. It's probably too soon. It's just all. If Lee was really plus one fifty, I would have been all over this though. I hear I hear that, and and he's, he's just plus, he's plus one forty five. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm gonna edge Muslim Salikov. Uh, I, he's crafty. He's fast. He's a really good striker. He's shown in his last matchup uh, against. Um, Thought I remembered that Francisco Trinaldo looked good in that fight and deserved the decision. He did not. He got completely outworked uh, by Muslim Salikov, which is pretty impressive. I know Trinaldo's not young, but that man will pressure you. He will He will uh, make you uncomfortable. He's coming off of, uh, prior to that, the win over Elizio Zaleski dos Santos, a split decision. That one's a little bit controversial. Loriano Steropoli before that. Norden Talib is a pretty good win. Um, he's on a bit of a streak here, man, since his loss to Alex Garcia back in 2017. Li Jing Liang doesn't really go for a whole lot of takedowns. He's going to be slower on the feet. He's not going to be as technical on the feet. He's not likely to outstrike him in this matchup, right? And if you look at the stats, Li Jing Liang hasn't out-wrestled anyone since he fought Elizio Zaleski dos Santos. He got a couple takedowns against him. Uh, and then outside of that, taking a guy like David Zawada down is not super impressive to me. Um, I, I, I tend to I tend to edge toward Muslim Salakov. I think he's got more in the gas tank. I think he's been looking overall good lately. He's not coming off of an embarrassing loss like Li Jing Liang is to Kamzat Shumayev. So I'm, I'm favoring Muslim, but uh, again, it's it's a close one. A lot of these are close ones uh, on paper in my book. What's your next pick? Or do you agree with this one? Um, I do, but I think it's really I think it's really really close. I don't know. <sighs> next, oh boy, I'm. I haven't. Uh, I haven't. This is more a pick against someone than a pick for someone. But I have not liked what I've seen from Dolce Lungimbula his last couple of fights. I don't know that he feels UFC ready. I think Soriano looked pretty good against um, against Maximov. He lost that split decision earlier than that. He fought Brendan Allen, but um, and he also put out you know Dusko Tavorovich, who's kind of like a you know, a true outcome fighter. He's either gonna yeah. he's either gonna floor you or he's gonna get floored. Um, yeah. I think I think that Soriano should be able to uh, to get uh, Lungimbula out of there. I don't I don't I think you're dealing with a fair like kind of a low level gatekeeper in Soriano and a guy that's probably got to the UFC a little too early in in Lungimbula. Yeah, Lungenbull is not really showing a whole lot of development to his game. He's got the judo. He's extremely strong. He hits incredibly hard, but he's not really connecting all of those. He's not developing his game. He doesn't seem to be improving very much. His gas tank isn't great. So I tend to agree with you about Soriano, but both of these guys are extremely underwhelming. They're they're just not reliable, right? And so it's hard to rely on either guy. But again, in a card where a bunch of matchups are hard to pick from, I, I get where you're coming from. My it's more pick- a pick against a dude being ready for the UFC. I get that. I'm going to take Jack Shore to beat Ricky Simone. This is the fight that I'm probably looking forward to most on this card. Super psyched about it. Uh, Ricky Simone, just a relentless wrestler, has cardio for days. Um, he's improving his stand-up, and we've seen that with his recent results. He's on, a, I believe, a four-fight winning streak after, after a couple of losses there. And looking really good doing it, man. He's looking like he's making the right improvements. Jack Shore, though, man, 16-0, looked untouchable. I think that Jack Shore's last matchup against... Um, uh, his last matchup against, hold on, uh, Timur Valiev is somewhat similar to the matchup here. Timur Valiev being the better wrestler, Timur Valiev uh, being faster than him, right? But dude, like his power, his consistency, he was able to outjab him. He was able to time him at just the right moments. And really the answer often to speed is timing. And Jack Shore has that timing. He's got the craft. He's going to put together the right game plan for this matchup. Um, and we've seen Ricky Simone, his chin has been shaky at times. We've seen him get rocked. I mean, Uriah Faber, like who loses to Uriah Faber, uh, you know, after 2016? He has, right? And that's that's a little bit concerning. Granted, he's, he's got wins over a Sunset, Brian Kelleher. Uh, like these are pretty good kind of 
you know, bottom of the rung top 15 wins at this point. I feel like Jack Shore has got real potential to be a top five fighter. So I got to take Jack Shore as the bigger man who's going to have the better timing and, and seems to game plan really, really well. Cool. I mean, I'm pushing for Simone because he's a nice story and I've, I've liked his comeback, but I think you're probably right. Um, <clears throat> all right, I'm going to skip up to the main event. This is tough. Let's go. And it's hard for me to not be like, I like one of these guys more than the other. Um, but for this fight, five rounds, I, I wish Ortega had better, um, had better takedowns and, and better wrestling, but the fights, the fight's going to go there because he's going to be able to essentially do counter wrestling against Yair's risk taking and like big strikes. So this over 25 minutes, this is going to hit the mat. And I, I, I just think that Orte I think Ortega is a finisher and he's really, he is extremely durable. Um, he may get pieced up a bit. His face, you know, we've seen his face get chopped up before, but I don't, I don't think Yaya Rodriguez's neck makes it out of this 25 minutes. I, yeah, here's the tricky thing is that Brian Ortega doesn't have the great wrestling. He doesn't. Right? So, so, but he still, but he still ends up in his positions, even with the best in the world, like Volkanovski. Yeah. And Yaya Rodriguez does stupid shit wherever he ends up on his back. Yes. Spot on, Nick. I, I think you've got this matchup spot on. Yaya Rodriguez, who's going to do a lot of damage with everything he throws. And it's not like Ortega's going to pressure him and take that space away and make it hard for Rodriguez to plant his feet and kick, right? Ortega's been more patient lately. He fights at a distance. He likes to use... Uh, his like often his reach advantage, right? He wants to wait till his opponent comes in. Yeah, Rodriguez is a big motherfucker. He's five eleven at this weight division. He's about as big as it gets, right? Ortega's pretty big too. Uh, Ortega's yeah, but but I think height wise, there should be quite a few inches of an edge. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree for this weight division, but I agree with you, right? Yair makes big mistakes. Like there were multiple instances in which before Max Holloway even started going for takedowns, Yair Rodriguez threw a kick and ended up on his butt. The way that Ortega caught Volkanovski's kick through that left hand down the line and, and had him on his back and then had a submission locked in within like a second of that, that's exactly the kind of situation that Brian Ortega can take advantage of, right? Uh, there were several instances in which Yara Rodriguez gave up those bad positions to uh, Max Holloway in a very competitive fight, but Max Holloway's not the kind of guy who just like takes an opening and finishes you immediately. He's the kind of guy who sees that crack and he and he and he like widens that crack and he keeps working on it until there's just a big divide by the end of the fight although Rodriguez looked good in that fifth round um Rodriguez is going to have the cardio he's going to have the durability but again this fight hits the floor for a couple of seconds Brian Ortega probably has it here's another tricky thing is that Ortega's been fighting southpaw right and Rodriguez has been relying on that right calf kick it's not going to work that well on a southpaw opponent who's going to have his uh, his lead leg his right leg kind of turned in toward Rodriguez's uh, calf kick, right? So if Rodriguez goes for those kicks, he's going to hit shin, even if Ortega doesn't really defend. So that kind of takes away one of the weapons for him, potentially. But again, Ortega's ability to just lock a submission in with a second's notice. He's got 25 minutes to do that. He can take so much damage and still potentially do that. The way that Volkanovski escaped, I don't think Yair Rodriguez can. Yair Rodriguez was, uh, you know, we've seen him against Frankie Edgar. We've seen him uh, We've seen him against Jeremy Stevens be on his back and, and, and kind of stay on his back, right? He makes mistakes that will allow Ortega to, uh, to find that opening, and, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think I think you're making a good pick here, uh, despite the fact that Yara Rodriguez is a plus 155 underdog. I actually thought Yara Rodriguez was going to be the favorite. I was sure, as I was watching tape on this, that there was going to be an underdog opportunity on Ortega, and then I looked at the odds, and I was surprised by them. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between... Oh, by the way, Brian Ortega, by submission, FanDuel has that at plus 280. That's definitely worth investing into. Like, put 20 or 30 bucks on that that, that you don't mind never seeing again. And you're probably going to walk away, you know, with a winning bet there, with a winning ticket. Like, if he's going to win, it's likely going to be by submission because I don't expect that Rodriguez can survive with him on the ground if the best pound-for-pound pound fighter on the planet barely survived with him on the ground. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Shane Burgos and Charles Jordan. I like Jordan's style a lot. He pressures forward. He throws hammers. He's been looking better and better. He's been making big improvements. But we've seen Shane Burgos... That Yeah, he's going to struggle against the very top, the top seven or eight guys. Charles Jordan isn't quite there yet unless he's continued to make major improvements in his game. Uh, I think that Shane Burgos has the technical edge on the feet because Jordan makes a lot of mistakes. And as much as, you know, Burgos can get clocked and, and have a weird reaction to it, we've seen it against Barboza, 
I tend to think Charles Jordan won't be able to land that kind of shot and hurt him that badly over three rounds. I think Shane Burgos should have the edge, especially on Long Island. Um, by the way, one of the few, few, few long, like New York area fighters left on this card because this card got ravaged as well. Even though he's a New York City-based guy who trains in New Jersey, um, he is fighting on Long Island, and that's you know that's about as close to home as it gets without being in NYC. So uh, I've got Shane Burgos here. Yeah, I like I like both of these guys. Jordan's uh, put his game you know together a bit better. Um, after having, you know, made several mistakes in his early fights, Burgos has taken a lot of damage in a, um, in, you know, a very exciting couple of years in the, I mean, I don't know how long Burgos has been around, but he still feels, um, I mean, he's a vet, but, but he's not necessarily on the tail end. He's just, he, we're dealing with two pressure offensive guys who throw, who just yep. throw. Um, I think if, Bur- if I think Burgos' key to success in this fight is if he cannot lead with power shots and throw, you know, get the jab off before Jordan starts throwing. I think that would be yes. good for him. Um, but I don't think that the thing is the people that have the people that have fucked up Burgos have are all, all have like bonkers power. They're all guys who have fi- who have finished other people. Um, Jordan, I don't think maybe with his with his feet, but I don't think this is. I think this is going to be a, a, a in the pocket fight. I don't think Jordan has that much pop in his hands. I don't think he hits as hard as those as those other guys. Um, so I see I see Burgos being able to be du- yeah be durable enough. And I agree I agree with you. But this is this has fight of the night writ, like all over it. Uh, if the main event wasn't the main event, I'd agree with you, but it's probably going to be between between these two. Ma- also, I wouldn't be surprised if Ricky Simone and Jack Shore are. Yeah, well, but I, well the reason this has the possibility for fight of the night is it it exists. I can see this fight going a round and a half before one of these guys falls, but it being one of those one of those fights where you know in that time the tide the tide can turn very quickly in this one. Yeah. And those those are the fights that tend to learn fight of the night. It's like, oh my god, this guy's about to finish. Oh no, this guy's about to finish. Right. Like, I think right. I think it'll I think it'll have that you know almost like like Malarkey Johnson. Um, yeah, I think you're right. And, and if you and I are correct that Brian Ortega will lock in a submission, he'll probably have some rough moments leading up to it, and then he's going to get a performance bonus for submission of the night rather than uh, a fight of the night. Realistically, if if the main event goes five rounds, that will be a fucking exciting matchup, or possibly a slaughtering by Rodriguez. I guess if he doesn't get submitted, there's a good chance he just like batters up Ortega, as we've seen happen a couple times with Ortega facing the top two guys. In the division, I, 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 again, I tend to agree with you. This is exciting. It's, it's hard to be confident in either of these guys, but Burgos is going to be the bigger man uh, at 5'11", and that's going to make a difference. He's got a six-inch reach advantage, right? That can be a real difference maker. He lands eight strikes per minute, whereas Jordan, who you would think lands about the same, only lands 5.6. Um, now, granted, Burgos, uh, both these guys are very hittable. But Burgos probably a little bit more hittable because he's willing to take more chances. So, look, I'm, I'm intrigued by this one. Burgos, by the way, 100% takedown defense in the UFC. That's pretty damn impressive. Um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, 91% takedown defense and 100% takedown accuracy. I know he hasn't gone for much, but that's that's a pretty impressive stat for, for a guy with his style. Um, next up, I am going to go – I think I'm going to go for a two-pointer, Nick, and, and I'm kind of throwing the dice here a little bit. In the matchup between Matt Schnell and Sumadarji. Sumadarji, obviously a talented guy, obviously has some serious firepower. He throws those straight, straight shots down the middle. Um, and Schnell, we've seen him run into shit. We've seen him look really fast. We've seen him look super technical, whether it be on the feet or or on the ground, right? He's got he's got a lot of his fundamentals in place. He's a finisher uh, in every way, and he's always going for the finish. He's a guy that's been around forever now. Um, and yeah, he's coming off of losses to Bunterin and Brandon Royval, although the Bunterin loss, I think, was ter- turned into a no contest. But the Tyson Nam matchup, to me, is the closest to this one, where Sumadarji is like a lower pace fighter. He's not going to put the pressure on. He likes to take his time. Matt Schnell is going to be in his face, throwing bombs, going for takedowns at all times. And Sumadarji is coming off of uh, a win over Zaruk Adashev, who landed some bombs on him, too. Right, and Matchnell is going to be faster than Adashev. He's taller than Adashev. He's more experienced than Adashev. Outside of that, he's coming off wins over Malcolm Gordon and Andre Sukumtad, who are not very high-level fighters. Prior to that, he's got a, two losses in a row to Louis Smolko, who's a pressure grappler. He got armbarred by him, right? And so the question is: Since 2018, how much improvement has he made in his ground game? Matchnell is a fucking finisher on the floor. Um, so between Matchnell having the opportunity to be faster standing up, granted, there's a risk with his chin. 
and the fact that Matt Chanel just implodes at some point and gets caught by something, right? Uh, between Matt Chanel having the opportunity to go for a takedown and should have a decent edge on the floor, I've got to take him for two points here. Taking Chanel for two. Yes, sir. What are your thoughts on this matchup? I, I mean, <clears throat> I guess I agree with you. I think this is close to a pick and I, I like Chanel at those odds. Yep. What you got next, Broda? We got four more picks. Wait, what did I? Oh, you wait. Hang on. We're recording this. Uh, we're recording a podcast. Turn the sound off on your computer, young man. <laughs> I guess I left. I left Discord. On. Hang on a second. I'm confused. What did I? After you picked, you picked Burgos over Jordan, right? Did you just do two picks in a row? <laughs> That's very funny. I did. I accidentally did. Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> What's your pick? So I guess I'm giving up Matt Chanel. Chanel for two. <laughs> oh, Nikolai, Nikolai. Well done. Good on you. You wouldn't have picked that fight next, would you have? Nope. 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 Didn't think so. I'm doing it. Specific- I'll probably Props lose. I'll, pro- I'll probably lose, but I'm doing that specifically to fuck with you. Okay. Back to you. Uh, Back to you, Stan. Uh, thanks for thanks for picking. I hope that karma bites you for this one. <laughs> um, next up, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna swing for another two point opportunity. I'm going to take Herbert Burns to beat Bill Algeo. Herbert really? Burns almost 170. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. Herbert Burns might not have the cardio to be a solid MMA fighter. He trains with, uh, you know, trains at least some of the time with um, Stanford MMA, along with his brother, Herb, uh, Gilbert Burns, right? But, and, and he also has this other school, The Way Martial Arts, where he seems to spend a lot of time. It might be his school where he teaches Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I wonder whether he's really married to the game like that. But I'm going to assume that he put the time into this one. He's coming off a loss, but that was two years ago, right? He doesn't need to be a fighter, so that's a factor. I, I get it. I just feel like a plus 170 against the guy in Bill Algeo who tends to get taken down and controlled by Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. Um, a guy who's got a spotty UFC record himself. Given Herbert Burns, um, and Bill Algeo is also a black belt, but Herbert Burns is supposed to be a lead on the ground. And I feel like if other guys can control Algeo, and Algeo does a good job of getting up eventually, Herbert Burns should be able to do well, possibly catch a submission in the first half of the fight at plus 170. I think that's that's worth uh, that's worth a swing, and I'm gonna say if you're gonna bet on this fight, don't bet it straight. Bet on uh, bet on Burns to win by submission because that's probably probably his way his path to victory. Even though we saw him get a knockout in his UFC debut, and let me see Burns by submission plus three fifty at uh, uh, Unibet and Bet Rivers. Or is it yeah Unibet and Bet Rivers? That's about as good odds as you're going to get on that kind of prop uh, by such an elite Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu grappler against the guy who doesn't have great takedown defense. So, look, as much as I can see Bill Algeo surviving the early storm by Burns, getting through that and just kicking the shit out of him for the rest of the fight, maybe finishing him with Herbert Burns kind of running out of gas, um, for two points, I'm going to take Herbert Burns, who's just so dangerous on the floor. Cool. Good pick. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're not left with a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff here. The... Um... Um... The Dustin Jacoby Diamond Junk fight's really interesting to me because they both on they're both on kind of runs here. I mean, Jacoby had a little hiccup with a draw against Ian Kutalaba, but they're both they're both good. I like watching them. This, my concern here is that I think Diamond Junk's been able to beat in in uh, muscle like a lot. His wins have largely been against guys who are slow. Like quite literally, slow Mike, slow Mike Rodriguez, right? Sam Alvey, yeah. uh, you know, Kennedy is, is a chick who isn't necessarily slow, but he's, um, you know, he's really green. But also William, like, William Knight, like these are not, these are powerful, fi- like, they're powerful fighters, but they're not, um, they're not fast guys. Dustin Jacoby is going to be lighter on his feet, I think, and. A little more elusive than those dudes who are like big target bangers um and for that reason even though he's an underdog that's not two points i think i'm gonna go with i think i'm gonna go with jacoby i just think he's gonna be a little bit tougher to hit than the guys that uh, that uh uh, jung's been been beating up yeah i tend to i mean again by a hair i guess i'll agree just because jacoby's been like showing that he's really hard to hold down, even though Dalton Jung can can take guys down and, and do well from top position. He's really like, he's got some great fundamentals. He's got power on his feet. He's probably going to be the slower fighter in this matchup. I tend to agree with you there as well. Between Jacoby's uh, size advantage, his height advantage, I should say, between his kickboxing experience, 
speed advantage and the fact that he does a good job of getting back up to his feet when taken down and has decent takedown defense. I, I'm going to edge Jacoby by a hair, but this is one of my two least confident fights. My next pick is going to be in another fight that's really hard to pick. Um, in the Jessica Penne-Emily Ducote matchup, Jessica Penne's got the craft. She's got the experience. She was gone for years, then she came back, and she's looking pretty good on the comeback, man. She's she's having success, even against these kind of up-and-comers who are supposed to come into the UFC and make a big splash, which is where Emily Ducote is, right? She's got six losses, 10-6, and six, I think her record is, but those losses were earlier in her career when she was still developing. She is super patient. Pretty good takedown defense and works her way back up if she needs to, right? She can be tied up, which is the concern against Penne. But she's got really solid fundamentals. She lands a serious right hand. She's more athletic than Penne. Um, I'm edging Emily Ducati, but I, I feel like this is a mistake given Jessica Penne's, the fact that she's surrounded by MMA. She, she like, lives MMA, right? She's always, always training. And the fact that she's got so many... You were shitting on her a couple months ago because of her OnlyFans account. And she can't be co- totally focused on MMA because she's doing that. No, it was actually, um, it was Kay Hansen. No, it, it, it was oh, Kay Hansen. Well, Jessica, no, Je- Jessica Penny has one too, and you were, I think you were shitting on that, like, sub, like before she came no, back. Well, no, no, and, and here's the thing. There's a difference to me between Penny and, uh, and Kay Hansen, and that Kay Hansen is a really young fighter uh, who hasn't really, doesn't have the craft of Penny. And for her to dedicate a decent portion of her time to a, to a career path that's going to make her more money than MMA, I question whether or not she's focused on MMA. Jessica Penny lives MMA. Yeah, she, she might have an OnlyFans, but you look at her Instagram. Like, she is she is constantly training. She's constantly with that crew in Vegas. She's she's constantly taking pictures okay, okay. of right, training. Right. With, 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 you know what I'm saying? She's married to the game. But I, I am edging by a hair for Emily Ducote. And, and if you want to blame Jessica Penny's uh, uh, OnlyFans account, I'm fine with that. Oh, you're edging on you're edging Dakota. Wow, okay. It sounded like you were swinging Penny on that. Again, I got to give credit to Penny. It's just, it's a pick Um, And I'm edging Dakota because I'm hoping she has potential. I'm hoping she breaks through as a prospect. But Jessica Penny could absolutely tie her up and and make this a kind of a slow grinding decision that, that like, there's, you know what? I'm seriously thinking about changing my pick back to Penny now. I'm going to go ahead and change it back to Penny, Nick. Yeah. Just like that. Well, I prefer Rigatoni, but, um, okay. (laughs) Oh boy, last pick. This one's tough. Yeah, it is. It's the Dwight Grant Dustin Stolfus matchup. And I think they're favoring, slightly favoring uh, Dwight Grant. Stolfus is not a, a two-point underdog pick. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Grant. I think. I think his. I think his power will be the difference here. Um. Pick and fight. I'm gonna go with Stolfus because he's shown like the wrestling prowess in his last matchup against Mirchart. I feel like Grant is not really skilled. He's slow. He's powerful, but he's plotting. He doesn't throw much, and I could see Dustin landing some takedowns and, and kind of scoring that way, especially as Grant tires over the course of the fight. Stolfus seems to be a tough guy, so I, I disagree with the pick. But again, this is literally last on my list, along with Jacoby versus Don Jung. Really hard fights to pick, and. And at least Jacoby Jacoby Doan Jung is gonna you know more of a high level fight. I feel like I, at least I have an at least I have a perspective on that. Like I don't really have much of a perspective on Grant. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Again, the only reason I'm edging Stolfus is because of his uh, because of his wrestling. I think is it just me or is this the only fight that we're like actually disagreeing on in this? It summer? might it might be, and I may change my pick. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- let me ask you the Bill Algier Herbert Burns matchup. Who's your pick on that one? Um. Yeah, I guess I'll. I guess I like Algio in that one, so we can disagree there too. Okay, good. So there's there's a couple of points of disagreement here, Nick. That'll do it for this one. Uh, do we have anything big coming up next week on the UFC calendar? Um, let's see. We have got. Wow, there's a lot of cards before then. We've got Saturday, uh, the twenty third, UFC Fight Night London, Blades versus Aspinall, fantastic main event. Hermanson versus Chris Curtis, love that fight. Yep, Patty Pimblett is coming in against Jordan Levitt, which which I'm interested. Two grapplers, uh, Nikita Krilov, Gustafsson. I'm intrigued. Molly McCann, Hannah Goldie. I guess you know it's cool to see Molly McCann. You're a fan of hers. Paul Gregg versus Volkan Ozdemir. I'm into that matchup. That's a top you know 15 level match. Um, Demir is Magulov. Uh, Diakasi is an okay matchup. Nathaniel Wood, Charles Rosa. Nathaniel Wood, always excited to see him fight. I'm surprised Charles Rosa still has a job in the UFC. Makwan Arbikani versus Jonathan Pierce. That'll be exciting. Uh, Humad Mur- M- uh, Makayev, who's seeming like a serious prospect, 
going against a gentleman named Charles Johnson, who I'm not familiar with. Um, and outside of that, yeah, no, see, Wood, Wood, FYI, FYI, Wood Rosa, Wood Rosa will be my first pick next week if I have, I have first uh, pick, right? I, I, I don't blame you. I think you have the first pick, so I, I don't, I don't blame you for that one bit, man. Rosa is a really hard guy to rely on to, to get wins against uh, good opponents. And I would imagine Nathaniel Wood's a huge, huge underdog. Uh, Nick, is that the very next week? Let me see. Yes, it is the very next week. Looking forward to that one. It actually is on the 23rd, which makes me think it's a Sunday. Hold on, let me look at the calendar quickly. No, 23rd is a Saturday. Okay, cool. So, Nikolai, looking forward to seeing the results of this one. I am so unsure about a lot of these matchups that the, our picks could easily, I think, go either way in this one. Uh, both of us took a couple of swings uh, at two-point underdogs, even though you basically just copied my pick. Let's not kid ourselves. I, hope that no, you, I didn't right. copy your pick. You made you made a mistake, and I took advantage of it and grabbed your neck. Oh, you're good. Oh, only if Matt Snow wins did you grab my neck. I didn't say I got the finish. I said I dropped your neck. Because I'm, I'm going to Vulcanostomy my way out of that deep choke, Nick. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a giver-upper. I'm just throwing it out there. It's amazing Volko can, can fight so well with you, like, you know, swinging from his nuts in the fight. He's carrying an extra 180 pounds there. Nick, uh, it, it's actually an extra 212 pounds, Nick. And, and you know what? Volk can afford to carry that extra 212 pounds. He's a powerful, powerful man, Nikolai. Powerful man. I'm a big fan of his. He's the best powerful man fighter on the planet. And you know what? My favorite fighter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's rare that the best power fighter on the planet is also my favorite fighter with people like John Jones carrying the day. Uh, but we'll get together. We'll get together next week and uh, you know talk about the UK card. Well, let's see how it, let's see it all looking falls out on Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. And to our listeners, leave us a review on iTunes. Nikolai Positive can't have that review be the last thing that everyone sees. <laughs> yeah, like if you want to leave a five star review, you are welcome to. If you want to leave anything less, then I guess think twice. But uh, seriously, do, do leave us an honest review. That that'll be awesome, and it'll also give us some feedback. And we're trying to get into the social media game. We got to get this. We, we, we got to get the social media train behind this podcast. Yeah, well. it only took like two hundred episodes for us to really you know figure that out. <laughs> You're not even kidding. We're almost at one fifty for God's sake. Good one, buddy. Uh, see you this same time next week. Yes, sir. And ready, three, two,